Welcome to Limitless, the blind beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community, in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsley. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marsley. Thank you for joining us again this week. We are going to be talking about teachers of the visually impaired. But before I get to that, I just wanted to put a little plug in, a call out to those listeners who feel like you're a fan of the Limitless podcast who might want to challenge yourself on our 100th episode. We're going to be doing a bit of a competition, a bit of a game show, and we're looking for some contestants who think that they know a lot about Blind Beginnings and are, well, not about Blind Beginnings, just about the podcast. So if you've been listening to our episodes and you want to challenge yourself, send me an email at limitless at blindbeginnings.ca and let me know that you want to be a contestant. Okay. Without further ado, let's get on with today's episode. So we have uh, my co-host today is Colby. Colby, why don't you remind our listeners who you are, your level of vision, and then introduce our guest. Hi, everyone. I'm Colby, and um, I'm totally blind. Uh, I used to have quite a bit of vision, but over time, it's gotten to where I see um, nothing really. Um, today, I will be um, helping to interview Sophia. Um, Sophia is one of my past vision teachers. And yeah, she'll tell you a bit about that. Welcome, Sophia. Hello. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you explain what a teacher of the visually impaired is? I mean, it's a teacher of the visually impaired, but what is that? (laughs) What do you do? Okay, so I'm a teacher of students who are blind and visually impaired. You could also say blind and partially sighted. Um, and so basically what I do is I support um, my students and their teams so that they can have meaningful access to learning opportunities um, at school and in their communities. So there are essential skills that I teach. And no, I don't teach Braille to everyone. <laughs> um, but Braille is one of the areas that I do teach. Um, also, Uh, There are actually nine essential areas that I teach, and um, those areas are called the expanded core curriculum. And so the expanded core curriculum is basically, um, some of the expanded core curriculum is basically around ways that uh, students can access different types of curriculum. So for instance, if they need to uh, access technology to be able to listen to or read their work, that is something that I would do with the help of their team. So that's what I do. And no, I'm not the visually impaired teacher. I am not visually impaired. A lot of people call me the visually impaired teacher, but I'm not visually impaired. Uh, But I am a teacher of students who are visually impaired. 
<laughs> I can tell that there's obviously lots of misconceptions out there. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, that's really interesting that you said, I don't just teach Braille and you don't always teach Braille. Like, can you give us an idea of kind of the percentage of kids that you work with that you would teach Braille just to kind of wrap people's minds around that? Right. So, you know, there are so many different kids, types of students that I work with. Um, I work with students who are blind. I work with students who are partially sighted. And I also work with students who have additional disabilities. Um, and so there is such a wide array of individuals that I work with. Now, all of those individuals are provided with uh, literacy skills, skills to access their learning, um, skills to be able to read, but only a very small percentage. So right now I have 10 students and only one of the 10 students is learning Braille. Mm. So it is a very small percentage. Now, I do live in a really small community. Um, perhaps if I worked in Surrey or in one of the larger districts, I would have more students who are learning Braille. But that percentage would also be very small. Maybe I would have six students, but maybe there might be 20 students on my caseload. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you tell us how you came to be a teacher of students with visual impairment. It's probably not a job that a lot of people would even necessarily know about unless they're kind of in the community. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. And it happened about, I would say, uh, 18, 19 years ago. And I was a teacher in Squamish. I taught a variety of different subjects. Um, and I was working in the school uh, where one of the things that I was teaching was, it was called special education at that time. And during that, the time that I was at that particular school, we had a student uh, who, who is visually impaired um, transfer into our district and into that school. And what I remember was, um, you know, how, how the school, uh, environment was changed for this particular student. So there were like yellow stripes that were um, painted onto the walls so that he would be able to use his vision to travel down the hallways. Um, uh, you know, the, the teacher of the visually impaired, who was also a very good friend of mine at the time, brought in a brailer and she, um, you know, she started uh, doing uh, workshops uh, on how to include a student with a visual impairment into the classroom. And so, you know, at first it was like, okay, I'm learning. But then, then I got to know the student and I got to know uh, what the student, the devices that the student used, how the student used the devices, how the student traveled around the school, you know, how they used their vision to play hockey with the rest of the, with the rest of the students outside during recess and lunch. You know, he used his, his bicycle, which blew my mind because I thought he was visually impaired. So he wouldn't be able to ride a bicycle. All my misconceptions, <laughs> they, they were misconceptions. And, and everything that I thought of as a person who was blind or partially sighted was shattered. It was completely shattered by this one student. He was the inspiration. And uh, during that time, I was actually enrolled in a different master's program at UBC. And after that year, working with that particular student, I stopped halfway uh, I was halfway done that master's degree 
um, I stopped and I restarted a new master's degree program in the area of teaching students who are blind and visually impaired. So he was my inspiration. I love that. I mean, who does that? Who stops a program, a master's program to restart something else? That's awesome. It, it was far more interesting. <laughs> so Colby, can you talk about like, what was, what was Sophia like as a vision teacher? What sort of things did she help you with? Or what did she teach you? What, what was, what was life like back then? And I know that was a few years ago. You're, you're like college student <laughs> now, but <laughs> Yeah, so, um, well, Sophia was probably one of the first, like, um, vision teachers I had that actually saw me on a regular basis. Before that, I'd had vision teachers, but they only came, like, every few months kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really know a lot of what they were supposed to help me with, really. Um, and it wasn't really until I started working with Sophia that I saw, oh, well, like, they're actually really helpful and beneficial. Um, and so some of the things like Sophia taught me Braille, um, or at least started teaching me Braille. Um, she taught me um, technology skills. Um, how to adapt different programs, um, different ways that I could be successful in my classes. And it was just a really, really positive experience for me, um, which I, I had never really had before. So that was really good. I guess we should mention too the whole itinerant part of being a TVI, like, you know, 10 students doesn't sound like a lot. Sophia, can you explain the travel component of your job? Yes. So I live in the Kootenays and I live around a lot of mountain passes. Um, my students are in different communities in the region that I live in. And those communities are sometimes two hours away from each other and on a different time zone. Uh, so being itinerant means that you actually you have to travel to your students and some and sometimes that takes a lot of time sometimes you can't get to your students so you have to find different ways of working with them uh, so that's you know that's a hard part of my job because i don't spend as much time as i would like to with each student now i remember colby i i spent like i was at your school weekly it was great um but, you know, compared to some of my other students, Colby was actually closer to where I live. So uh, it's definitely a difficult part of the job. And it takes it takes a lot of time to travel. And it takes that time is taken away from your student. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine if Colby, if you were seeing your your vision teacher like every couple months before Sophia, mm -hmm. maybe they didn't live there right like sometimes the the closest tvi is is a few hours away and they can't come regularly so that that can be challenging or or they might even be like 17 or 20 hours away uh you know they could they could live in um, i remember when i uh, was working in prince rupert and living here and having to travel to prince rupert because they didn't have a teacher for visually impaired in Prince Rupert. Now, there's 
you just have to be creative and find ways to connect with your students um, in mm -hmm. other ways. And even even 18 years ago or however long that was, that was possible. Right. So. Actually, why don't we talk about that? I mean, COVID must have impacted your job or, you know, what, how, how do you teach somebody some of the things you have to teach them when you can't be in the same room and you have to do it virtually? What was that like? Or what is it like? <laughs> well, I, I have to say that it wasn't really new to me because I did have that student in Prince Rupert. So I connected with that person through Skype um, many, many years ago. And so I had a background sort of, you know, it's all trial and error and, uh, you know, nothing is perfect. But the fact that you're connecting with a student, even if you're not getting as much braille or whatever area you're working at as, as much work done as you would if you were physically there connecting is is the first thing that you need to do in order to be able to work with your student you have to have a relationship and if you're only seeing your students once every or talking with them or even communicating through chat or what however um once every three months you're not building that relationship so what i found with covid it was very interesting because even though I do see my students regularly, um, I, I found that I developed a closer relationship with them. And I found things out about them that, you know, really helped my practice. You know, for instance, during the lockdown, I would connect with kids and they might be in their in their home holding their pet, whether it was a cat or a dog. And what I saw in some points was that the students were actually calmer more relaxed, more able to take in information because they were holding um, mm. the, the one, you know, item that brought them an immense amount of comfort and joy. You know, so I learned a lot about the students, about their families, about, um, and, and the interactions were different. I would say that um, they were super meaningful. It was a hard time for all of us. So we had deeper conversations mm. about just life you know, things that were going on. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I have a friend who's partially sighted and, and he was saying with virtual programs, he's able to see people on the screen better than he can in real life mm. because you can make, you know, you can have oh. a, a really big screen. Uh, <laughs> you can get closer <laughs> to it than you can in real life. And I, that's just an interesting, if you're trying to teach somebody with limited vision, something visual, maybe that's easier on a screen. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and you know what, COVID just, uh, just brought such, you know, the whole experience brought such creativity to the forefront. Um, so I have a student who uh, was a beginning Braille learner. And, you know, she, she, she is partially sighted. Um, so, you know, we ended up um, creating this thing that actually Colby was part of too. It was called Braille Games Day. And it was just a way for, for her and I and some other individuals um, to connect, to play Braille games. And I mean, it just turned out to be such a cool thing to connect with different people that it grew into connecting with to people around the, the province, really. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still going on, so... I know mobility is 
is not necessarily, um, not all teachers of the visually impaired teach mobility, but you are certified to do that. And I know you did some creative things around that too. Wasn't there some using food to set up a, I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Am I remembering that right? Like a met, like a map or something using food. I don't know. Okay. It didn't have the best name. <laughs> <laughs> it was called edible O and M. Right. Oh, I like <laughs> I it. Love it. <laughs> and um, the idea wasn't mine. It was actually um, Mary Anderson. It was her idea. So Mary is also a teacher of students who are blind and visually impaired, and she lives on a farm. And her idea was to uh, to get students together for a field trip because, of course, during COVID and during the lockdown, we couldn't go on field trips. And so this was our way of creating a field trip and bringing it to all the students of the province. <laughs> and so what we did is we did a field trip of Mary's farm. And, um, and so the students um, had to create the route that Mary was taking um, and follow the route using food. So, you know, um, they would use a like maybe a, a carrot, like a long carrot for maybe one of the roads. Maybe they would use a strawberry for one of the barns or, you know, so yeah. So in that way, the students were actually tactically following um, Mary's route through her, through her farm. And we were connected uh, through Zoom. So, um, you know, it was very cool because we would go into the, into the chicken coop and you could hear all the hundreds of, you know, chickens just, chirping away and uh you know we we, we checked out the sheep um and you could hear them and you could hear you know so it was just a really neat sort of overall sensory um experience uh online field trip now the best part is that you got to eat your map because it was edible <laughs> yes that's great i feel like one of the things that I love about you, Sophia, is how creative you are. You mm -hmm. certainly have done some creative things with your students. Um, let's talk about Project Adventure. That's something that you created in the Kootenays. Um, I know with with other with a couple other vision teachers, but tell us about that and why that came to be. Okay, so yes, and there was another vision teacher who was involved right at the beginning, um, and that's Cheryl Knight. And so we decided that uh, it was time that uh, students and families uh, had, had the opportunity to come together and meet each other. Because of course, here in the Kootenays, and, and Colby, you can probably talk about this too, with your experience, I mean, the students are, our students, our peer, your peers, you're so far away from each other in different communities. Mm -hmm. And so, and the families are all really separated and, and, you know, there's <clears throat> such value in bringing people together uh, in, in doing an activity and bringing parents together to talk about, um, you know, anything that they might want to talk about to another, with another parent. Uh, so that's how, you know, Project Adventure was created. We brought, our whole main idea was to bring people together. Now, the adventure part is just living in the Kootenays. Uh, living here is an adventure. <laughs> we have an amazing playground that we can go into. 
the mountains, the rivers. There's just so many outdoor activities and so many things to do here that are adventure-based. Uh, so we decided to create Project Adventure to bring people together. But, you know, as it developed over the years, it turned into something that was um, really cool because we, as teachers, uh, basically stopped creating Project Adventure and and we stepped back and let our students voice what they wanted to do. Um, we invited them to the table to help us develop the program for that year. So that was a really great learning opportunity for us as teachers to be able to let go. Mm -hmm. And of course we didn't completely let go, but you know, it was a good learning experience. Was dog sledding the first one? Yeah. It, okay. There, there was, um, there was a opportunity, like we did have one sort of get together or a couple of get togethers prior to that, but it wasn't called project adventure. It was just, you know, just let's get people together. Okay. Um, but dog sledding was the first one. Yeah. I was, I was at the dog sledding. I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we stopped our sled in the middle of the run because there was a cougar in the tree that was really interesting to look at. And I uh, was terrified. So <laughs> like, why are we stopping? We should be going. We should not be sitting here. Yeah. All part of the adventure, Sean. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, I think the component of getting the students to help plan, um, I know they they had to help with like fundraising and, you know, organizing and things like that. Colby, you did some big stuff for Project Adventure. Do you want to talk about that? I, uh, we did like different fundraisers. So one time we had a movie night um, and we showed a movie. Um, uh, it was actually a movie that Eric, we mayor did hmm. um and we got fun uh we've um made money from that and then didn't you do like a dining in the dark thing yeah um so i uh, basically it was based off the dark table in vancouver and i did it actually just after i had gone to it when it had first opened it in Vancouver. And so I had organized um, a, a restaurant here locally. Um, I was able to rent out the whole restaurant and have the staff basically um, serve everyone. Um, and each person was blindfolded, um, or at least they were supposed to be. Um, and just to have them experience what it was like um, dining without vision. And um, the funds from that went to Project Adventure one year. Um, and that was quite a uh, big fundraiser, I think. Um, and we got like a good amount of um, donations and things from that you know it's so interesting because uh, you know through my teacher lens I what I remember is you know Colby I asked you to be the treasurer of Project Adventure oh, right <laughs> you remember that yeah and so as a teacher I was like great 
So she could learn all these skills from the expanded core curriculum. So how to, how to, because you, ha you have to have a signature in order to sign the checks. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so, you know, like, you know, that's part of expanded core curriculum. How do you, you know, practice your signature? How do you do a signature on a line? If you're, if you're blind, what are the strategies? And then orientation and mobility, like traveling to the bank to, to deposit checks, navigating, uh, inside the bank and, and finding the teller and using all of um, your skills for orientation mobility. So that was one of the things that you did. And then technology, like how do you keep track of how much money is in the account? And you did a ton of work for Project Adventure. <laughs> you know, and, it, and in the background, Colby, like, I, you know, you were learning all of these skills that it would have taken me like a long time to teach you but it was all sort of yeah. condensed in this whole experience of project adventure and so motivating because you're planning this event that you really want to go to right yeah as a student yeah that's so smart sophia <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i know you also had your have your students sometimes like present to lions clubs and service clubs to ask yes. for for donations to go to project adventure right that's true. I think yeah, Colby, yeah, you've done we that. Did, we've did that like quite a few times to different Lions clubs in their area. Mm -hmm. um, and we seem to, for the most part, get um, funding from them. That's great. And mm -hmm. um, also, did you not sell things at farmer's markets or something? Was that a, am I remembering that right? Sure, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, we saw we had all these bracelets made. Oh my gosh, I remember I had this huge, huge bag of bracelets in my room at one point. And my mom was like, Colby, are you going to sell those or what are you doing with them? <laughs> there were so many bracelets. I, I have them on my handles of my doors in my house upstairs oh. here. They're, every time I close a door, I feel. Yeah, they're, they're those rubber bracelets and they had braille that said adventure, but That's then we right. had no limits ones too for blind beginnings. So they're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, project adventure, you know, was like come to the, it, for the Kootenai, Kootenai kids to come together and families to meet each other. But then one year you planned something a little bigger, a little farther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to who wants to reveal where you guys went and I was supposed to go with you and I'm so sad that I didn't but yeah yeah so we went to New York yeah um, New oh. York <laughs> <laughs> what the heck Sophia I mean how okay. did you how did you make that happen and where did you dream that up well I just took your no limits philosophy <laughs> <laughs> and went for it because one day I was at a student's place and uh, was talking to her. I think I had just dropped her home after goalball practice or something, or was picking her up. And um, she said, I would love to go to New York City. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Would you like to go to New York City? And she's like, you know, she's, she's just kind of, you know, went, yeah, yeah, I would one day. I'm like, well, why don't we just go to New York City then? <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, it started with this little seed um, of a thought that a student had. 
and it became a reality. And at that time, you know, I had, uh, you know, my, I called them, I called them my girls, you know, my, <laughs> my students, they were all teenagers and they were all into it. Um, the families were really supportive and we just came together and made it happen. And again, they had to help in planning that trip, right? Yep. Like yeah, research, <laughs> researching where they wanted to go and how you were going to make that happen and all that kind of stuff. There was yeah. lots of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then when we were in New Vancouver, Vancouver, when we were in New York, um, it was up to us. Like we could go wherever, but we had to figure out how to get there, um, and that was really cool. I like it was so cool to see um, how like all the city blocks worked. Um, I just remember one day we were downtown, like Times Square, and. Um, I was with my mom at the time and I was like, okay, what street is this? And she told me, and then because of the numbers um, being odd or even, I could tell, okay, we need to go this direction. And like, my mom was like, holy crap, like, you know? And I was like, yeah, we have to go this way. And it was just so cool to see that I could do that. And it was New York City. Wow. That is cool. Mm-hmm. I went to New York uh, for a dragon boat festival oh, a few, cool. many years ago, and I never learned anything <laughs> while I was there. Like, I I can't even, like, I know how overwhelming New York is. So the fact that you figured out the city and how to navigate is very impressive. That's very cool. Um, And I, I don't know. I just feel like it, like the all that expanded core curriculum learning that happens outside of the school. Like it sounds like Sophia, a lot of your teaching isn't really in the classroom. No, I, I try to make it out of the classroom a lot of times. I feel like life doesn't only exist in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, you know, in order to experience life fully, we have to be in different environments and try different things and step outside of our comfort zones. So, yeah, that's, uh, and, and honestly, I am an adventurer. I, I love, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I find uh, that being in the classroom sometimes um, is hard for me. <laughs> so I, I need to get out. Uh, so I just bring my students with me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about because I something else that you do that I'm not sure if this is a standard practice for that all TVIs do this, but students who are blind or partially sighted usually have an IEP. And I, I think that you bring your students to those. Can you talk a bit about that, what that is and how that works? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. See, I think that, I think that students should be invited to their IEPs right from the beginning, right from kindergarten. And, you know, I think of, um, I feel like there's a difference between a medical model and a social model. Um, And that exists within the school environment as well. You could approach learning from a medical model, which basically states that you need a professional to state what you need. And that's just the way it goes. Or 
you could take the path of a social model. And the social model is more inclusive. It is inclusive. It's interconnected. That none of us hold the answer to a, to a question or a problem, but together we can come up with something that is pretty cool and will work. A social model basically, you know, states that um, a disability is not the is not a problem of an individual. The issues are environmental. There are there there uh, things that we all need to take a look at, and we're all a part of the solving of a problem. Um, and so that's kind of the the way that I think about it. Now I don't like going to doctors. <laughs> so that's probably why um, I, I'm sort of erring to, uh, you know, the social model. But also on top of that, um, when a student is meaningfully included in an IEP, an individual educational plan, they have a say and they're practicing uh, self-determination skills, which is also part of the expanded core curriculum. They're using their voice. Uh, and, and that's ultimately where we want our students to get to, to be, to have a voice, to have a say about their own needs. Um, and that really should start right from the beginning, right from kindergarten, um, with students setting their own goals, uh, with language, IEP language that is um, written in kid language, if you have a kindergartner, so that they can review um, how far the, they've come over the year. I think it's really important. What kind of goals do kindergartners have? Uh, I can cross the street using my cane. Mm, cool. I, I can listen for traffic. Um, you know, I, I, I can use my Acrobat video magnifier to view what's on the board. Um, Colby, do you remember going to IEP meetings? Yeah, uh, I laugh because... It probably wasn't until Sophia was around that I was never invited to my IEPs. And I always knew they were happening. And it always really stressed me out because I felt like, oh my gosh, they're talking about me and it's got to be negative and things like that. Um, you know, it was always such like, a negative experience for me. Um, yeah, and, and I definitely think that it could have been better if I was included in it um, at the beginning. Colby, you taught me so much about that. Really? Uh, yeah, you did. Now, I remember <laughs> when um, I did a functional vision assessment and I wrote up the assessment and then I read it to you. And she, you're like, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, I don't do that. I do this. I'm like, really? So I wrote down your notes under what I wrote in mm -hmm. my assessment. And then I would read something else. And you were like, no, Sophia, that's not right. And then, and so I, basically I had my assessment. It was Sophia's assessment, which actually was was not accurate and and so colby added her own parts to this functional vision assessment which ended up being 13 pages <laughs> i don't know but i mean what that told me was that you know that even in assessment that we need to actually involve our students 
we need to ask them, is this accurate? What I've written, is this, is this really accurate? Or is, or is, is there something that's missing here? Or am I totally off track? Mm. Yeah. I'm curious though, Colby, when you started going to IEP meetings, cause I've heard that sometimes there can be like, you know, 10 people in the room. Was it intimidating to speak up? Oh my God. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think I went in maybe grade six or seven and I'm pretty sure I cried because I was so intimidated mm. and there were, yes, there was a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, Which is also like a really good life experience. I feel like it must've prepared you for job interviews and panel interviews and yeah. <laughs> other intimidating things that happen in life. Mm-hmm. You know what, though, Colby, you just came so far. I remember, um, I remember we used before an IEP meeting, we would get together and sort of go through like a almost a practice run mm-hmm. <laughs> of what the meeting might be like. And um, but I also remember you met um, the director of special education and had a conversation with her like a few years after. And I mean, it was a hard, hard experience, but you got through it, you know, and you said what you needed to say. And uh, that was sort of like the, 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 one of my highlights was watching you in that situation, you know? Yeah. It was very cool. Just thinking about how do you prepare your students to move on to university or or jobs or any of that stuff. Um, you know, and typically in high school, the, the teacher, the visually impaired does a lot of the work for us in communicating with the classroom teacher about what the needs are of the student and what materials are going to be needed and making sure they're accessible and things like that. And then you get to university and you're kind of supposed to do all that yourself. (laughs) So, um, so how do you prepare your students Well, um, so part of the expanded core curriculum is career education. So I work backwards. So I work with my students and I ask them, well, what would you like to be when you're older? Now, I had a student say that she wanted to be an elephant trainer. That was really hard to find information (laughs) about being an elephant trainer. (laughs) Very specific also. (laughs) Yeah. But I went with it. I go with it. I try as, 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 you know, as much as I can to just go with it, even though it's not in my realm of understanding. Um, but uh, so the students right off the bat are given an opportunity to dream about their future. Dreaming is everything, you know, mm-hmm. if you can dream about your future, you could go there, you could get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I really encourage that. But within that, we kind of work backwards. You're like, okay, you want to be a, a, an elephant trainer huh, I wonder what kind of education you need to be an elephant trainer. So we research that. And so you have to go to whatever elephant training school. Um, and we find out where that school is. And then I ask the question, I wonder what you need to get into that school. And so we research that. What do we need to get into elephant training school? And, you know, we get some information out of that. And then so we work backwards and we're like, well, what kind of, uh, like, what what kind of uh things you need to do in high school in order to get into that school. And so we research that and uh, we get all this information. So I kind of work backwards and I do this every year. So my students are always thinking about 
graduation and they're always thinking about their future and they're exposed to eventually all these different schools, universities, or life experiences that they might want to have. So if they want to go travel, you know, what do you want to do after you graduate? I want to travel. Okay, well, let's explore the areas that you, you may want to go. Um, and we work backwards. So how do I prepare them? I start right in kindergarten through um, the expanded core curriculum, through looking at careers, through looking at dreaming about the future, and we work backwards. So when we actually get to grade 12, and, um, you know, that is the time when students have to fill out paperwork, when they have to start talking to colleges or universities and the um, disability or um, you know services uh, that they have already thought about it from kindergarten to that time and now they can just step into that role and complete those forms and and transition seamlessly really because they've done it in their heads a million times into a life that they want so that's how I do it. Now, I don't leave them in grade 12. Well, see ya. Now that you've dreamt about it, you can do it. No, I don't do that. I'm with <laughs> them the entire way. <laughs> I'm with them the entire way. I'll, if they want, I will go to the college with them. I, you know, I will go to the university with them. I will help them explore. Um, but if they don't want it, uh, I won't because mm -hmm. they're old enough and they have the metacognition to know what they need and want. So... That's so cool. I love that. And I love that you just go with whatever they say. I think, um, you know, I get that question a lot. Like, you know, what if my child says that they want to be a pilot, but they're blind and, you know, I, it's like, you don't have to crush your, your young child's dreams. You can go with it. And eventually as they get older, they're going to figure out <laughs> that maybe that's not a viable option. Uh, I'm sure the elephant trainer, I don't, I'm curious if <laughs> like, I feel like whatever they say in kindergarten is probably not what they are still saying in grade 12. Cause as you start to research and realize like, okay, that might be really tough or that might be really far, or I have no experience with elephants. So <laughs> I did learn a lot about elephants. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's awesome. So this sounds like a pretty fantastic job being a, a teacher of the visually impaired. How do you become one? Where could somebody go if they've listened to this and they're like, you know what, I'm going to quit my master's program and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there are a few places in Canada that you can go to. And one place is right here in British Columbia. So it's at UBC and um, it's in the Department of Educational Psychology and Special Education at UBC. There's a blindness and visual impairment program. Um, it's a two-year program, so two-year pretty much full time. And um, it is, uh, so you, you basically, for this particular program, you go, you are online during the school year and then you attend face-to-face -face during the summers at UBC. It's an amazing program because you can teach and work while you're doing the program. Um, there, and there is also a program in Halifax as well. All right, coast to coast. Mm -hmm. And there's a demand, right? We need more TDIs. Oh yes, there's a huge demand. All, I mean, I, I can only speak for British Columbia 
but you know, I know that the North, Northern BC, huge demand. There's so many retirements coming up um, on the coast. Right now, you know, we have opportunities on Vancouver Island um, and in the Fraser Valley. And, mm -hmm. and things are always changing. Um, you know, we have opportunities in the East Kootenays right now. And so it is, you know, it's open, it's there. It's an amazing job. Um, and it's a two-year master's degree program. Now, the thing is, is that you have to have a teaching certificate in order to get into the master's program. Um, so if you're a teacher and you're wanting um, to step into something amazing that will <laughs> change your life, please become a teacher of students of visual, with visual impairments because it, it, it's an amazing job. I love it. That's a good plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sophia, for joining us today and sharing about your job. I am so grateful that you are part of this community. And I think what you do is fantastic. And I feel privileged to be able to work with you. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Sean. And thank you, Colby. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank thanks, you. Colby. Blind Beginnings is excited to be having our annual fundraising gala on April 30th, this year being held at the Sheraton Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. It's the first time in three years that we've been able to have a gala in person, so we're very excited. We're also extremely grateful to our co-sponsor for the gala this year, the Ani Group. Tickets are $125 for adults, $49 for children 12 or younger, and are available at blindbeginnings.ca. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, subscribe, leave us a rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.